Welcome to The Barbell Strikes Back. I'm your host again, James McDermott, and today I have another amazing guest. This time, joining me all the way from Australia is Lester Ho. Lester is a weightlifting coach. He specializes in biomechanics and teaching biomechanics. He's done a lot of research on weightlifting. At one point, he was going for his PhD in the snatch, and I'm super excited to learn all that I can possibly learn from Lester. Lester, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me, James. Uh, I think it's been a while, technically a while since I last saw you, uh, and hopefully, you know, we, we can meet face-to-face soon and have a chat about a lot more things. Yeah, we, uh, we last crossed paths at the, um, uh, the, the Masters World Championships in Montreal. Yes. And before yes, that, yes. I met you when you came to the States to do a yeah, seminar that, with Diane Fu. Yes, that was five years ago, actually. Yeah, that was, that was a long yeah. time ago. And, you know, I still have the pamphlet. You gave everybody, like, a printed <laughs> pamphlet, which yeah. I, I think that's the coolest thing. Like, I've been to so many seminars, and, of course, the big certifications will give you something, but yeah. yours was the only, like, smaller group seminar that I had ever been to where you got a, a little book that it's like, here, here's everything you're going to learn. And I got just to fill in all my notes throughout the weekend. And it was great. It was a great seminar. Yeah. I, I've got Diane to thank for that because when I first started as a coach, you know, like, I mean, I don't, I don't think too much about the, the smaller details. I mean, for weightlifting, of course, I think of the smaller details, but like, you know, things like that where it's business related or marketing related, I don't think about the smaller details as much. And, you know, like my whole time in the US, I learned, I learned a lot about that, you know, how to, how to present myself better as a coach, uh, how to present myself better as a seminar presenter. Uh, and, you know, I picked up a lot of things from that seminar tour, like small little things like, the, the menu itself that we gave you, you know, it just gives the participant an opportunity to write stuff down, like you said, you know, uh, visually it helps us, you know, get, get feedback and go, oh, okay, I know he was talking about this and, you know, I can go back and look at it. Whereas sometimes, you know, I've done seminars before myself and I've, I've gone like, oh, wait, what, is, what did this guy say? And I can't really remember because, you know, everything, everything is just rushing in. There's an overload of information and you go, Oh, I kind of forget that piece, and most most likely you won't retain what you learned in that seminar without the notes. So yeah, yeah. and even if you're taking notes, like if you're if you're spending the time writing, you know, you're probably not watching the board. You're probably not actually listening. So it's just a very yes. interesting dynamic. Uh, maybe someday you'll put out your own DVD, like a Lester Ho training, <laughs> training Geek DVD. I, I want to yeah, know do, about, about that, Lester. What's where did the training geek come from? That's that's the name uh, of your so, business and gym, right? Yes. Yeah, so um, the training geek came about uh, when I first started my bachelor study, so my undergrad, uh, and I was doing exercise science at that time for three years. Uh, over the period of time, because I started, I started sports as funny enough as a ten pin bowler. So I did 10-pin bowling for 14 years uh, when I was young. And what, what is and that? That's just like regular, like I'm thinking when you say bowling, I'm thinking of like yeah. American bowling. Okay, yeah, so right. the one on, on the lanes and, you know, you throw the ball down and all that. Like you guys have like a PBA tour or something like that, almost similar to the golf PGA tour, you know. Uh, yeah, I did that for like, I, I wasn't on the tour or anything. I wasn't that good. But, you know, nationally, I did that for 10 to 14 years and 
you know, that got me interested in, in the technical side of uh, sport because bowling itself is very technical. Throwing a ball down the lane to make it like curve and, you know, the speed and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I learned a lot of the technicalities from my coach at that time. And, you know, I was interested to pursue that. And then I was, I was then looking to study more about the science of it. So that got me to study exercise science. Uh, at that time, I, I just met my then girlfriend, who is now my wife. Uh, and, you know, she said, oh, I'm going to Melbourne to study. And then I go like, oh, maybe I should follow you. So, <laughs> so I, made, I, made, I made the decision. I said, I told my dad and mom, uh, you know, so and so is going to, Leanne's going to, the, to Melbourne to study. So I think I'm going to Melbourne to study as well. So I took that decision. Never get, I never regretted it. Uh, got, got to Melbourne, you know, when I was learning a lot about the science stuff, like, you know, I mean, typical exercise science, you know, you have to, you have to do your, any assignment requires you to do research on it, uh, write a literature review. And from there, you know, I grew the interest in researching stuff. Uh, or my interest in researching stuff just grew a lot more, you know. So I was like, oh, okay. By the third year before I graduated, the semester before I graduated or the term before I graduated, my, my supervisor who was really close to me said, why don't you try doing a research project? So I did do a research project on, uh, I think it was concurrent training or PEP actually, so post-activation potentiation. Uh, it was a really small project of like someone either running and then doing some weights or doing some weights and then doing some running. Uh, and that, that whole process of doing or capturing the data uh, got, me, got me really keen on, on research. So once I graduated... Was, was that to yeah. like, um, you, you, you were going to do some weight training and see how it affected the running or see how the running yes. affected the weight training? Both ways. So I did it both ways and I did it at different timings. So um, post-activation potentiation, I, just on a tangent for a little bit, uh, is actually you know, how your, your bodies get primed up uh, from, a, from a strength training exercise and how do you use those qualities to, to you know, promote the next activity that you're going to do. So, so the, the big one was always like, you know, how sprinters, they said, oh, you know, you should do some heavy squats and then you go out and sprint because your legs will be like fired up and then you'll be ready to go to sprint. Yeah, so, I know the one so, that comes to my mind is like doing like a heavy squat and then trying to go for a max vertical jump right after. Yes, 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 yes. Something like that. Yeah, you know, so so I I studied a little bit of that. Uh, I was trying to actually more f figure out more what's the best or what's a suitable protocol for regular training. So like you know, a lot of people like to like to do both a bit of running and a bit of uh, strength work at the same time. You know, what's the best protocol to do that? You know, kind of like uh, CrossFit. Almost like that, almost like that, you know, and, and the, the results were interesting. It was like, you know, we, we, we discovered that, you know, um, by doing strength training first, your running economy improved. Yeah, so, so it's small little things like that where you actually see the results of the project that gets you really like fired up and really keen about, oh, you know, maybe, maybe I can be a researcher, you know, so... Yeah. So this, this supervisor of mine, he's actually, he was really close at that time. And uh, 
when I when I finally graduated, he said, "Oh, why don't you you know carry on the next the next logical step is doing an honors you know an honors study on, uh, on something." And then he said, uh, "Why don't you do weightlifting?" You know because he at that time I was I was just doing a little bit of CrossFit here and there on my own. I wasn't part of any box or anything like that. Uh, and he saw me in the school gym doing some snatches and cleaning jerks. And then he said. Oh, yep, you know, do you know that I'm also a weightlifter? So he was snatching, you know, at that time he was like this big dude that could <laughs> snatch. To me, to me, a hundred kilo snatch at that time was huge, you know? So, so seeing a hundred kilo snatch, I was like, whoa, you know? And, and you know, I got, I got really keen on the sport from there, but I never stepped into a, a CrossFit box or I never stepped into a weightlifting gym. Everything was self-taught, see? So, so came the fourth year of my studies, I did... I did a research project on the snatch, particularly looking at the start position. So I focused a lot on the biomechanics side, particularly the kinematics. Um, and, you know, one thing led to another. I got interested in weightlifting. My, my supervisor at that time uh, said, if you're doing research for the sport, you should kind of understand what the sport is. Yeah, you, you know? should so throw on a singlet, sign up for a meet. Exactly. So, so he, he brought me to... To my coach, uh, he actually brought me to his weightlifting club where my coach, who I met my coach, uh, Robert Cabez, uh, one of the figures of weightlifting in, uh, in Australia itself. Uh, and, you know, I, I never regretted that step. You know, I, I, I was actually meant to go there to introduce science to the weightlifting club and maybe gather a few participants. But, you know, the first day I got there, I did my, I did my data gathering and then uh, the next thing was, my coach went like, do you want to do some lifting? And I was like, oh, sure. You know, uh, rocked up, did a 50 kilo snatch. Uh, I think I could snatch close to about, my, my PR was probably about 75 kilos at that time. And, and you know, I, I, I did, I worked up to about 60 and then he was like, oh, you move quite well, you know? And I was like, oh, okay, thank you. You know, and I never regretted it. I, from then on, I, I did my first comp. You know, I started doing a lot more comps through the years. Uh, and yeah, that, that was how I, that's how I started TG Strength, uh, which is my club now. But, yeah. you know, and, the and training gig. That, that's that's yeah. great that you're, you dove in headfirst into the sport. You know, you might, you might as well doing all this yeah. research. And I imagine doing weightlifting ha obviously helped with your research because you could understand what it's like to be in a correct start position and yes, to move exactly. correctly from that start position. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that since that was a big centerpiece of your research. Uh, first, let's, let's talk about what the ideal start position is for you. Like, where do you like to see your athletes when they're setting up? Uh, I, okay, so this, this brings, me, brings me back to, you know, I don't know if you remember like the, the details about the seminar and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I usually look out for two main things. One is your center of mass and your base of support. So if you're looking at a optimal position, all right, everyone's optimal position is different. You know, someone who wants to develop power, his optimal position would be different or jumping power, vertical power. His optimal position to jump would be very different from someone who has a different lever length. So, so to cater for the differences in lever lengths, the, the main thing that is a uh, commonality is your center of mass over your base of support, which is your balance. 
see. So the, the position has to look balanced in the sense. So, so I always look out for the center of mass, which typically sits somewhere around your belly button and your base of support, usual is your feet. You know? And then you add on top of that your, your center of mass of the barbell. All right? You have these two center of masses. You find the combined center of mass, which is in the middle. And that should sit somewhere in the middle of your foot. So, so to me, you know, any, any position can be optimal if you understand or you kind of put yourself through these laws of, in a sense, physics. Uh, and so, it's basically so if you're many, setting up on the bar, your, yes. your center mass is about at your belly button. And yep. then you have the barbell that's on the floor. When you're yep. in the start position, somewhere in between those yep. two points. It's, is the combined center. shared center mass. And yes. that combined center of mass should be lined up uh, somewhere uh, on a bounce point on the foot. Yes. Like about the midfoot. About the midfoot, somewhere near your arches, you know, some like, if you're like me, uh, I'm an abnormality, abnormality. I have uh, 11, size 11 feet for a very short guy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I have, I have a big base of support so I can get away with, Sitting it forward a little bit, I can get away with sitting it back a little bit. Uh, but yes, somewhere in the middle, I usually, I usually like to like to get individuals to play around with it a little. So I might get them to shift very far forward to understand what their range is like forward, and also sit all the way back. So then, when they find those two extreme ranges where they can still maintain their balance. Uh, then I get them to shift to the center. So it's like you know, it's like targeting. Oh, too far forward, too far back. Okay, now right in the middle, that's where you're going to be. So if someone's oh. going to go and take themselves through this to find their correct balance, they, you know, they would approach the bar and set their feet, set the yep. hands on the bar, and then when they yep. lower their hips and bend at the knees, they're yep. looking to get their belly button on top of the bar, behind close, the bar? Close to being on top of the bar. So I would say usually the area or it's, a, it's, a, it's not tangible, but you can feel where the, the whole, I mean, all the weight of your body plus the barbell sits within the middle of your legs. So, so it's somewhere close to your, your thighs, but somewhere in the middle. Um, and, you know, like now to think of it, it, it's not scientifically proven yet, but, you know, there's this cue. I, got, I usually get this cue from my coach in the past saying, you know, push your belly into your thighs to set up, right? I don't know if you've heard that before because that's like for you to brace yourself to set your trunk, uh, push your belly into your thigh, and then push your legs against your belly to stand up, yeah. So, yeah. so I don't know if I've, I've heard that. Like, I don't know if it's the same thing. What I've tried to do at times is when I'm set up on the bar, I'll try to almost pull my belly button and, and the bar together yes. and to kind of tense up. And yep. then pull. Uh, it's not yep. something yep. I've practiced a lot with, but I know when I've yep. done it, it's like I kind of feel like we all moved together at that as one. one. Yeah, yeah, as one, as opposed to two separate units, me and the bar. Yes, and that's that's you putting the two center of masses closer together, so that when you move, it's a lot easier. So if you think about it, like what's the easiest way to carry an object and move it around? Uh, you keep it close to you. You hug yeah. it, right? You carry it as a backpack. You know, things like that, right? But if you were to hold it out in front of you, 
half the time you're struggling to you're struggling to hold your balance or keep your balance. So it's harder to do it that way. See? Even carrying your groceries, right? Uh, it's it's easier to split it up and carry it with both hands than to carry it with one hand and lean across the other way. You know. Yeah. So so it, the idea of it is keeping those two weights close together so that when you move, instead of you putting effort or spending the energy to keep them close, you're spending the energy to go up and down. And that's, that's where you want to put most all yes. of your effort in. And, yes, and one, one thing that this kind of makes me think of is I know at times in the past, you know, I, I've played through with so many different start positions where I'll be setting up, you know, in a very, very deep setup position. Like I'm talking yep. hip crease below the knees, which means yep. my belly button is probably behind the bar. And then yes. when I go to pull, it has to move over the bar to move yes. to break the bar anyways. And then I used to jump forward a lot. Yes. Is, is that yes. why I used to jump forward so much? I was looking at a bunch of old videos and it's, it was like, it was almost like a two foot jump, you know, starting <laughs> way behind the bar and then slingshot so, with the bar out in front. Yep. Yep. Uh, possible. I think it's possible because if you think about it, like the motion of you dropping your hips and then just as you're going to break the floor, your hips come up. Right, so so basically, that sets the position for your pelvis or your your torso to pivot more in the extension. So when your torso gets to pivot more in the extension, you are basically using a lot more of your shoulders to to swing the bar. Right, and when that happens, and if you're stiff in the arms, that's gonna swing the bar out, which forces you to have to jump forward for it. See, so yeah. so yeah, that's that's possibly one of the one of the reasons why you would have jumped forward like that is because when the the, the torsos used to pivot quite a lot, that's gonna throw throw your center of mass back and forth a lot. See, so that's why you jump forward. Um, and I also remembered like you're you you're relatively built for weightlifting, so you know you have the slightly longer torso with the slightly shorter legs, you know, and your arms are pretty pretty. Nicely yeah. length short. for the bar. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, short, you, yeah. You can say short. You can say it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, so you know, so far, this is the nicest thing anyone said to me all day. So this is good. Keep going. Yeah, good. All right. So you're built, you're built for that. See, if you look at some of, the, some of the top guys, they are the old weightlifting model where, you know, um, you, have, you have guys where their arms are, are, are short and they just sit the bar right at the hips when they stand up, you know, and... and you you are relatively close to that, so so for you keeping a position where you're too over the bar causes you to pivot with your longest lever, which is your torso, you know, uh, and then that's where you know you do a lot of that swinging action to to move the bar. Whereas you know if you if you look at how how do you utilize a lever length like yours, basically you can actually stay relatively upright and vertical, and just come up from that and. Basically, you'll be using your legs from there. So, so you're saying so, like yeah. a more, uh, like a, a more vertical start position, but, uh, belly buttons over the bar, and then uh, essentially just just stand up and stand go. Up. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've had people yeah. tell me that, but I, me I remember at a, a seminar, uh, Travis Cooper so told me that he's like, uh, you just need to just to get the bar off the floor and then yep. just go because as soon as it's off the floor for you, it's already at your knees. It's already pretty much past there so just just go. exactly that yeah exactly that you know and uh that, so maybe that don't be me. as patient as as i am right now just be less patient 
Just pull and go. <laughs> pull and go. Well, you know, like this is why I say, like you know, uh, all of us have certain quirks or certain uh, procedures or routines that we follow, and you know, we we want to keep that in mind. I mean, as coaches, we experiment a little bit so that we understand how some of our lifters think or feel. So, and then we can approach certain issues that they might have in their lifting based on that. See, uh, but you know. It's, it's, I think, for personal lifting-wise, like, like myself now, these days, I've been playing around, same thing with a start position that is a little bit more dynamic, you know. Uh, but instead of sitting down like yourself, where I no longer have my 16-year-old hips to allow me to do that, yeah. um, I actually have to sit my hips high, set my trunk first, and then go down to, to, to come up, you know. So, so it's the opposite of what you do, you know. Like, instead of you feeling both center of masses being close, I feel that in order for me to be close when I break the floor, I have to actually keep my hips up so that I can set my trunk in a better position. You know, if I mm -hmm. sit down like that, I just can't feel my hips uh, sitting comfortably into that position and makes it harder for me to maintain a better position coming off the floor. So, so yes. Now, I've, I've heard some coaches say this before where the start position, if, if you're in the correct start position and your body's aligned just so, it should be a very difficult position almost to hold like, like, but if you, if you can hang out there for long periods of time, you're probably too loose and you're probably not correctly loaded uh, with the muscles and the joints. Uh, what do you think about that? I, I agree with that. You know, like I tell, I tell a lot of my guys like, uh, and you got to understand the body is a very unique uh, organism, right? You, your body always recognizes when to, when to get out of danger. Right, or trouble, right? So imagine if you know your arm's about to break. The first thing you do is you retract it so that it doesn't break, right? Yeah. Uh, so so you know, of course, that position when you start, a lot of us we always can't hold that position because it's not a position that our body likes to hold. You know, we almost have to be like, all right, I have to get ready for this. You know, you, you, you know, when you're setting up, you gotta, you gotta psych yourself up a little and say, hey, okay, let's stay tight. Boom, set up. And then you break the floor, see? So, so I think, I think the big thing is, I, I do agree that, you know, it is, it is a position that's difficult to hold because, you know, you're putting a lot of that pressure on your body to do one be able to maintain its balance and two, to be able to break the inertia of the bar. You know, uh, when you come off the floor, basic, or when you set up on the floor, basically you don't feel the weight of the bar. So the moment you start moving and it starts coming off the floor, that's where you take all that weight up. You know, uh, and imagine if you're snatching close to body weight, right? And, and what ends up happening is you're lifting your own body weight plus another addition of your, your body weight. So it's yeah. almost like two times your body weight, right? Um, and and that, that, that itself is going to be a lot of pressure on the body to, to maintain. See? So that's why that, you know, that first little bit when you break off the floor, that's the hardest position to hold because, because all that pressure comes down onto your, your legs to push off. And if you cannot hold that, basically you, you, you're not in a good position to move off. And, yeah, so that's why I always say the moment you 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 start bad, you end bad. Yeah, yeah. you're you're breaking you're breaking bad. <laughs> breaking yeah, bad. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I I know at, at your seminar, you know when when you had me, you modified my start position. So I used to be in a very loose start position. I actually just posted a video to my Instagram of how yep. it used to look 
uh, in the early days where it was just a loose squat setting up and yep. go. And, yep. and all of a sudden at your seminar, my thighs are on fire and you're having the whole <laughs> class, the whole class is there, you know, everyone's set up and I'm like, I've never felt the middle of my thighs before. And yep. I'm wondering if Diane is walking around and stabbing me with a pencil right in the middle of it. <laughs> it's just like, bam, just right there. You feel those thighs. But yep. you know, that I, I would assume I'm probably more of a hamstring dominant lifter on the way I was doing it before. But there yep. is something to be said to getting all the muscles working in unison to making that lift feel easier. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you think about it, you look at uh, sprinters, you know, like sprinters, they use a lot of their posterior chain for driving them or propelling them forward, right? But, but also at the same time, you don't see that they have small quads. No, they have know? giant legs. Just Yeah, they have, in general, giant legs, you know. So, so you know, uh, I think if you, if you actually look at how the leg works, and I think there are enough studies to show that, you know, there's no such thing as, oh, you can only activate your glutes and your hamstrings. Uh, it's, it's always a certain percentage of how much your glutes are firing, how much your hamstrings are firing, how much your quads are firing in unison with each other. See? Yeah. And, and I think people don't see that enough. You know, they, they still, there's still always that debate about all oh, the low bar squat and the high bar squat and all that kind of stuff. And I said, you know, at, at the end of the day, even a low bar squat, sometimes you still have to utilize your quads. Yeah, yeah it's not like they're just going to shut off and not yeah, be a part exactly. of any movement. Exactly, you know, so, so, so you have to understand that probably the percentages, they range over different limb lengths. So if you're, if you're, if you're femurs longer than your lower leg, right, it means that your, your longer lever is your femur. So you have to actually depend a lot more on your, your cord to drive your leg to extension, see. So, so I think I think people need to understand that as well, and you know that's have, that has been my almost my driving force in how I coach. You know, telling people like you know I mean as much as like you said you know in the past before the seminar we interacted, you 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 were basically more posterior chain dominant. You know, and that comes from coaching cues that you probably heard in the past. You know, where they said, "Oh, load up your hamstrings." You know shift your hips back, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, might not be necessarily true for you, you know. You might feel better loading a bit more of the quads, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's part of like the, uh, the art of coaching is you have yes. this bag of all these things that will work, but which one of the tools will you pull out for this individual who is going to be different from all the other 12 people in the room? Oh yeah. Well, all my, like if I had 12 people, I, I'm pretty sure 12 people are all different, you know, and you yeah. have to approach it differently as well. So you go like, oh, you know, oh, this one worked for this person. Wait, doesn't work for this other person. So, yeah. You, you can't know, be married to, to one cue or one, one mindset. Now, how, how do we apply this to someone who jumps back? Like, okay. so on the setup, you know, like I've, I've got one lifter in particular where on the setup, for the most time, you know, he'll, he'll be all right. Like we've been working on not jumping back for quite some time and up to a certain percentage of max, he'll be okay. But then once we get to like that certain threshold of weight, those old habits come back and the toes start to kick behind the knees and then they land. So now the toes are on the floor and the knee is out here several inches in front of the toe. And yep. then we're trying to hold the weight overhead. What, what yep. causes that on the setup and on the pull 
and how can we fix it using biomechanics? Okay, so the first thing I'll actually explore is uh, one, his bar path. If you look at his bar path, uh, you know, I mean, the bar path would show you that it goes forward a little bit or if he's attempting to keep it really, really, really straight, right? Yeah. Uh, that could be an issue that is causing him to jump back. Right. Uh, yeah, we've, we've, we've been trying to work on some drills to improve yep. the bar path and just not letting the bar get out away. One, one drill we've actually been using is just the no foot snatch on like, okay, yep. well, we're not going to go anywhere. We're just going to have to keep it tight and work on pulling under. Uh, what, yep. what I typically notice happens is like we were talking about before a bad yep. break. So we're getting yep. like a bad break off the floor and just at the precipice, right when that bar is about to break, it nudges yep. forward or it almost rolls forward, you know? Yep. So we've been trying to figure out where to put his body so it doesn't get pushed forward with the shins and all these yep. things. Uh, maybe what you could do is now thinking about that, like, you know, I, like I've been playing around with that a little and with that, that small little, if I do a dynamic start and I bring my hips down to, to get into that position to break off the floor, uh, I do nudge the bar forward a little bit as well. You know, um, I think the important thing to remember from there is how, if you if that's always happening, it means that you're not giving your legs enough room for that for the for the bar to stay in position. See, you're keeping it too close to your legs or your shins, or too far into your shins before you start. You know, so so I think this is where exploring things like you know what his what his he might have longer femurs, like I said, compared to his lower leg. So if you're actually pushing his femurs forward when he sets up, that's definitely going to push on the bar to go forward. See? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. So, so, so one thing you could explore, and it might sound a little bit off, is in the past we used to think a lot about, oh, the bar actually has to stay within our feet, right? Uh, your, your, your toes have to be under the bar, or even the, the middle of your foot or the ball of the foot have to be, has to be under the bar, right? Um, Explore keeping the bar just right at the tip of the toes, you know, and and that might allow him to feel like he doesn't have to push the bar forward when he gets down to break the floor. And secondly, he might actually feel like he has to use a lot of his strength in the lats to kind of keep the bar close. Yeah, um, yeah. It is when, like almost it is be prompted the, to to use them, pulling yeah, the bar exactly. back right off the yes. floor. Yeah, I've, I've I've not thought of that about that. You know, we've tried. A bunch of different things, you know, uh, to, to work on it, but it never crossed my mind to get the bar that far out on the toes because, yep. you know, it's a, it's a counterintuitive thing. It's like, well, we're getting on the toes. Why would we put the bar out there by the toes? But I like that. We're going to, we're going to try Give that. it a shot and see how it goes. You know, I, I, even I myself can't tell you the result, but you know, this yeah. is what I think I'll do. I think the second thing to explore is like, uh, what's his shoulder mobility? Like, you know, I think a lot of times, our, 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 almost our ideal concept of trying to keep the bar close and vertical uh, actually fights against what our regular shoulder mobility is like. You know? Especially the point where the bar leaves your hips, right? A lot of coaches to this day still try to say, hey, it needs to leave your hips straight up. You, know, you can't let it go out away from you, right? But but I actually coach a bit of deviation. So I don't mind the bar going away from you because like, I think, I don't know if you remember that the seminar I said, or Diane and I said something like, you know, you and the bar can't occupy the same space. 
Yeah, right? I, I remember that. And you talked about the uh, the well, everyone talks about the S curve, which is yes. it's not a it's not a flat, you know, like hook. It's it's like yep. a fish hook. It's a curve. Yeah, so it's it has like a to loop hook. out around to loop back, yeah. back down. You know, uh, but what I'm what what I think a lot of people need to understand as well is it, that hook, right, or that that point where it starts going up and out, right? Um, there is a point where it's supposed to go a little bit straighter, okay? Uh, that is when momentum on the barbell, or momentum is acting on the barbell, right? Because yep. momentum basically is it moving on its own, right? I've generated all this force, it can move up. Uh, and if you think about it, gravity only acts up and down. It doesn't act side to side. It doesn't go forward and back. Right, it only acts up and down. So whatever you throw up straight enough comes straight back down. Right? Yeah. So if 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 we are trying so hard to pull it in or you know keep it close, we're like I said right at the beginning with balance, we're putting all the effort to make it move horizontally instead of allowing it to move vertically. You know, so if I allow it to move vertically and if momentum happens, the point where the curve starts coming up is where you get a little bit of deviation coming out and then momentum carries it up. That's, it, that's where it gives you time to sit under the bars. And then it comes back in a loop because you actually had it come out a little and then after that it goes down. So, so I think a lot of times when we try to keep it close or too straight, the point where it leaves the hips and it comes up too straight, I break the position of my spine and I, I'm actually pulling or I'm pulling a little bit more to come back. And that's what is what You're sometimes leaning, causes... leaning too far back, you mean? Almost like that, you know? Uh, and that's what causes a lot of us to kind of jump back a little bit, you know? Uh, and back to the shoulders, like if my shoulders are not mobile enough to create internal rotation without breaking my spine or hyperextending my spine, then that bar is not going to stay close enough for me to actually keep it in position when it lands. Yeah. So, so I, I think there are a few things here. One is probably at the point of extension, he might have either hyperextended his spine or his shoulders are not mobile enough to actually keep the spine in position and then rotate into that high, almost high elbows position. Um, and that's what sometimes pulls the bar back. I know that's, that's the case for myself. Where, that, that is know, definitely something that we've, we've worked on with him on, on not hyperextending too far back yep. and then losing that bar out in front and definitely with the shoulder mobility too. You know, that's yep. been something that we've been working on for quite some time with one, a couple of things that we've, we've tried in the past are, you know, where you lay the barbell across your delts and do the yes. internal external rotation, uh, yes. stuff like that. And lately, something that's really been helping was uh, a lat pullover, just laying mm, yes. on a bench and reaching a and dumbbell back off. behind your ears. Uh, yep, that seems to be helping a, a little bit. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so you know, we got to really attack these shoulders a little bit more and, yeah. and work on that start position. Yes. Uh, I also think like, you know, just don't be afraid to explore what his, what his upper body feels like, you know, uh, if he does something like, you know, in, in this day and age where, you know, in this situation where we are always on the computer, sitting down, you know, talking on the screen, you know, we, we are in a very uh, forward neck position. So with that forward neck position, we tend to get a little bit tighter here. 
you know, so so that might also affect a little bit of that shoulder mobility to come up because it's all stuck here. And then by the time I come up, this doesn't move at all. There's no range for it to move. See? All all stuck in the middle. And people can't see what, what you're doing, but you're you're touching your, your collarbones and your sternum. And what a lot yes. of people don't realize is that you know, like all the thoracic mobility is done on the back, but yes. the sternum is also a part of the thoracic spine and it needs, Amen. To, it needs to move in the too. Like, like it's not only about, you know, like doing those little hyperextensions back and forth, there needs to be a rotational component and the sternum can't be locked up. And then I would imagine, yeah, I see you're shaking your head. If the sternum's locked up and you have this thoracic tightness in the front, probably you're not breathing correctly either. And you're having breathing issues. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, uh, that's how, exactly it. How, how Lester, how, how do you coach breathing in the lifts because it's something that that people don't really think about on when to breathe how to breathe and if someone doesn't even know how to breathe you know maybe they yes. maybe they're just in their shoulders so their way of taking a breath in involves taking in the air in the chest and then shrugging up to the ears and now we're pulling in that position that's a huge problem yeah, that's a huge problem. You can't, you can't connect the upper body to the lower body here. Like if you think about it, the, the muscle that works the hardest to connect your ribs to your pelvis is your diaphragm. Yeah, like it's 100%. right in the middle there. Yeah, it's right in the middle there. You know? In order for you to work it well, right, you have to be able to feel it move. So, so I, I remember recently reading something from, uh, I think it was uh, Chris Duffin's Kabuki strength, right? Um, he he's a strength coach. He's a powerlifter, but you know he talks a lot about bracing, intra-abdominal pressure, um, and you know he was talking about a lot of people mistake belly breathing as diaphragm breathing. It's two different things, you know. Knowing how to move your diaphragm is actually what allows you to then belly breathe. But yeah. if you just belly breathe, you might not be moving a diaphragm. So you might still be in a very stuck position. So Yeah, you can still get air down there. Oh, of course. Without, of course. It's just like with anything. You can move without using the correct muscles in the correct sequence that we want them to be moved in. I, I, exactly. I've, I've gone down so many rabbit holes with breathing before. Because I, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I, I had a, a TIA back in yep. 2013, and I had um, a paralysis of the diaphragm. So it's yep. like immediately after that incident, which happened at the gym, uh, going back into CrossFit classes, I was like suffocating. I can't breathe anymore. And then I went and I met Dr. Perry Nicholson, who is um, a master instructor for rock yep. tape. And he did a couple tests on me and he's like, yeah, you, you don't have a diaphragm right now. Like it doesn't, it's yep. not working. It's not like, interested. Yep. And, and, and yeah, I like that. It's not interested. And that's a huge component of your core and torso strength. He was, I, I was I, I was what I thought was strong at the time, and he had another participant, you know, a very small lady, moving me oh, around, yes. and I could barely, <laughs> I, I I I could not defend myself, you know, like they were doing these different tests on where you have to resist yep. rotation, and yep. she could have flipped me over and took my wallet because there was nothing, <laughs> and there was nothing I could do about it, and I was like, I did yep. not realize I had this problem, and yep. how much better my lifting could be if I work to correct this. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't see enough of, you know, like in weightlifting, we worry a lot more about our, our, 
our torso, we worry a lot more about our back, we worry a lot more about our shoulders, you know, we worry about a lot about our knees even, you know, ankle mobility is also another big one. But I think the big thing is you got to remember it is still lifting or lifting in general. And if you're talking about lifting in general, learning how to brace or stabilize your trunk is what's going to give you the best result in your lifts. So yeah. even if your joints are mobile, all right, if this is too mobile or this is not in a good position, that mobility in the joint is, becomes a becomes like a double edged sword. It's gonna it's gonna cause you to have a lot more issues. See? So oh yeah, that's so, it's uh, it reminds me of what CrossFit uh, uh, refers to as core to extremity. You know, the, yes, the, the exactly. power generates from within, uh, and yes. it's the it's the limbs that amplify the power. You know, and, exactly. And you, it's uh, and it's it's funny you say that too because uh, I'm also very hypermobile. So yes. operating without a stable trunk and having joints that will go any way you want them to, if you can force it that way, uh, definitely was never a good good combination. Yes. So what and what do you use to teach uh, uh, lifters on how to strengthen their diaphragm and breathe correctly? So uh, a lot of my lifters they actually get specific warm ups depending on how what they like. You know, I have I have. So the first thing I try to correct as much as possible, even as a regular or experienced lifter walks in and says, hey, I've been lifting for quite a few years, is to actually understand how they take their breath. Um, and I just see it just from the way they set up. You know, if they, they set up and they pull, like you said, they pull their shoulders up when they take their breath, or even in the overhead position, the rack position, where they set up and they start to go you know, all the way up into the neck, you know, you, you, you start to challenge them and say, hey, why is it that you're doing that? You know, oh, I want to get as much air in as, as possible. But, but in actual fact, that's not the way you get air in. You know, um, I've done it before. I've, I've done it myself and I've played around with it. So I think the big one that I like to use to start with is 1990 um, breathing. So you have your feet up against the wall. Your knees are in 90, at 90 degrees. And you just put your hands on your belly and you breathe. You know, learning how to breathe. Some, some people's mechanics, breathing mechanics are completely flipped the other way around. You know, when they take their breath in, they're sucking their tummy in, you know, and you go like, yeah. wait, that's, that's, that's not right. You know, um, it has to expand the other way. Yeah. It has to go the other way. You know, that's, that's you using your diaphragm to pull air in and then push, pushing the organs out, you know, uh, and that's why your tummy rises. So, uh, so I like that because, and for any coaches that are listening and athletes too, the benefit of starting on the floor is that this is a safe, stable position for the body. It's, it's the yes. least threatening positions. And so for example, like if, if you were to be standing on one leg and trying to breathe, that would be very complicated. That's a complicated thing to do for someone who doesn't know how to breathe. And then they might start to go into a panic mode where they start yes. to move incorrectly or breathe incorrectly. So laying on the floor is stable and safe. And what one thing that yeah, I like to refer to is that, you know, we, we, all, we all started on the floor, crawling around, rolling around. If you think about a baby, they earned and gained stability on the floor first. Then they went up to be standing. Exactly, exactly. And if you think about it, it's the only way to get your body to relax, like kind of relax, you know. Like a lot of times our breathing is also affected by our, our state of mind uh, or whether our body perceives danger. See? So sometimes sitting down, 
might trigger a position where you're like, oh, I'm tensed up or, you know, it's like at work, you know, half the time if you sit down, um, you start getting into that feeling of, oh, you know, I'm going to be stressed out at work. So you don't breathe properly as well. So lying down actually flips it around because, I mean, all of us lie down to sleep anyway. So, so and that's the point where we recover, we rest, we relax. Uh, and, you know, it just stimulates that a little bit more. So if you're lying down, it allows you to go like, oh, yep, it's time to relax. And then you actually get into your breathing mechanics better. And then you explore and go, oh, wait, you're not actually breathing right. You know, you're breathing in air through your mouth or you're not, you're not using your nose enough, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and it just gets them to be aware of it. You know? uh, and then from there, I, I, I speak to them a lot about like, you know, they're in the gym maybe an hour or two each, three times a week or something. Uh, but they are also at work eight hours a day. So, so yeah, it's tough. You know, it, you do most of your breathing outside of the gym, you know, so you shouldn't even, you shouldn't be thinking about it only when you, when you're lifting. You should be try to improve it on a regular basis, like every day. You know, uh, you know one thing that really helped me was um, I'm not sure if, if you've ever dove into this, but uh, mouth taping. Oh yeah. So yeah, wow. uh, it's 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 amazing. So like, uh, and I'll do nasal strips too. So uh, yeah. at at night, I'll put a nasal strip on and then I'll tape yeah. my mouth shut. And uh, they have these specialized mouth tapes that you can get on Amazon. Although I've used rock tape before too. It'll work <laughs> as long as it's, uh, it's somewhat porous. So like if you yep. had to, a little bit of air come through. But what, yeah. I, what I noticed was um, uh, immediately right away after about two weeks in, I could feel a difference in core strength just from, wow. just from uh, doing it at night when sleeping. Uh, I noticed a huge difference in CrossFit style workouts on just being able to breathe through the nose and only yep. really realize that I'm breathing through the nose and not mouth breathing, gasping for air, you know, cause I'm, I'm gassed out in a workout was because yep. it dawned on me, Hey, why aren't I mouth breathing yeah. and gasping for air right now? So that's when I noticed it. I'm like, wait, this isn't how it normally supposed to go is supposed to go after I've yep. done 50 burpees, but it's, yep. it's different. And I would say the last thing is too, uh, I noticed a change in the uh, uh i'm trying to think of the word the the depth of my voice when coaching so like when oh, wow. having when having a room yeah, full of people with their barbells and 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 you yell go you know i was like whoa that that came from deep <laughs> down like towards the pant line and belly button and like yep. and the, the person in the back row is like oh yeah yeah let me move but like <laughs> so those were those are immediate things that i i noticed yep. uh, in addition to better sleep uh, which, is, yeah. which is so it's like i'm a huge proponent of of one the, the the nasal tape and also the mouth breathing and that has been a huge help for me on a lot of things I, i'm keen to try it actually now that you mentioned it because you know i as you can tell you know and you can hear my voice is a little bit like clocked up and my nose is a bit clocked up because i have sinusitis most of the mornings you know especially when the weather starts getting colder uh it, it flares up a little bit and it's just almost impossible for me to not breathe through my nose you know so yeah. so it's 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 interesting because like the times where i actually clear it out and i'm able to breathe I live heaps better, but you know, like you said, it just makes you more aware that you know, 
oh, okay, I'm not actually breathing through my nose as well. Uh, so like, you know, when I have times like that, where like if now, if I were to go train, right, the first thing I'll get done is to actually get my breathing back and be able to clear my nose out to say, hey, I can breathe through my nose so that I can get air in to set my core. Uh, then, then I know that I'm, all, I'm, I'm ready to train. See? So I think it's about building that awareness in the individual to say, yes, you know, it's hard to break the habit of sometimes mouth breathing. But if you are aware of it, right, you are going to go, oh, yep, I can breathe through my nose now. I can breathe through my nose now. I can breathe through my nose now. Uh, it, it just sets that habit going as well. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something worth trying. And I think if my wife hears this, she'll thank you like a million times because, <laughs> you know, it might, it might stop me from like snoring too much. Oh, oh uh, it, 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 that's one of the uses for it. You know, I had someone else at the gym try it and they, they, they don't sleep very well. I'm talking two hours a night. They'll wake up and their mind yep. will be racing and it dramatically yep. helps their sleep and um, some things with snoring for my significant yep. other, you know, uh, Joanna, yep. <laughs> her out. I'm not the snorer in the relationship. <laughs> but I, I like what you said earlier uh, with, with the jerk on when the bar is on your shoulders and you go to take in your air for the jerk, yep. if you take it all in in your chest, and the bar raises up, there's probably a good chance it's raising up and forward a little bit too. Yes. And then now there goes some, uh, now there's a disadvantage on the balance for that lift. Yep. So I think, I think that that's a, a, a big topic as well. Like, you know, I mean, some, some coaches do, do advocate like a, a strong rack position. You have to kind of like, brace yourself for the right position. But, you know, if you think about it and if you look at the dynamics of your, your scapula with your collarbone and your shoulder and how it moves, basically the scap and the collarbone, they kind of move in a way together, right? So if I'm actually breathing up and my collarbones come up, I'm actually rolling my scaps out of position, see? Uh, and, if, you know, if you think about it, when I take my breath in, my scaps actually flare a little flare a little to, to kind of open up so that I can take the breath in as well. So, so when that happens, I'm actually shifting the scap position with, with the collarbone. And when, and when I do that, like you said, naturally it sits the bar forward and away from you. So, so to counter that, what, what would, what's the most common thing we do is to actually arch our back to, so that we can pull that bar back in line with our center of mass. You know, and when that happens, the pressure that we have to stabilize the trunk through the abdominals is lost because suddenly everything is stretched out in the abs and there's no tension there. All the tension goes into our back. So yeah, now so, the lower back is jacked up. Yeah, and the lower back's jacked up. And, and, what, and you're probably going to try to catch the split or the power jerk or whatever it is in that extremely arched position. And yeah. It's probably not going to go very well because now you I, have. I call it a. Think, I call it a incline bench press. Yeah, you know, you're yeah. doing a incline bench. See? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to either so, pre bench press it away and yep. feel pain in your back, or if you're someone who has like freakishly long arms and you're flexible, now the bar is going to be bouncing over the hip joint and not over the the elbow, shoulder, and hip joint and the rest of the torso, and that exactly a problem too. Exactly, you know, and, and think about it, like, you know, if your breath or your neck's locked up, it's harder for your elbows to move or your shoulders to move, see? So, so it, it just makes it 
difficult for the shoulders to actually get into position. See? Well, hey, let's you know? have people try that right now. Like if you're listening, if you're listening to the show right now, uh, and you're sitting down or you're standing, uh, sit upright or 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 stand upright, stand. and yeah. shrug shrug your shoulders up to your ears and kind of roll them forward a little bit, and now try to press over your head and see how it feels. And I immediately felt a little impingement on my right shoulder when I just did that versus having it down. Now it's, it's free. Now it doesn't, it feels great. Yeah. So, so, and you got to remember the jerk is such a short, uh, if we talk about the bar path, it's such a short bar path, right? So it means that the time to get under the bar or the timing of the, the entire movement is a lot shorter. So, so our, our rhythm to get under the bar, our speed to get under the bar has to be there, see? So if anything is hindering the movement of the joint to get into a quick lockout, right? Yeah. That's going to that's gonna slow us down and that's going to increase our chances of missing the jerk as simple as that. You know, so so if anything, I would rather keep a lot of the joints in the upper body free, because when I want to get into the lockout, it's actually smooth enough or free enough to say, "Hey, boop, I can get into that position." See, you know? Yeah, I I know one thing. Uh, typically, I know I'm I'm guilty of getting the bar up there and and like tensing up a little bit, and yep. it's just probably because because things are tight up here. And what yep. I've been trying to work on is uh, just actually letting my hands relax a little bit on the bar yep. and not death gripping it so much. Just kind of relax, let the fingers open and try to feel the weight on my torso. And when yep. I go to, to move, having it feel like, like it's my body that's moving it and I'm not just holding it in my shoulders and arms and trying to heave it up over my head. Yep. Uh, I actually, so I don't have the poster up at the moment in the gym, but I used to have a poster in the old location where, you know, uh, Lu, Lu Xiaojin, the Chinese, yep. the, that superstar 77 kilo lifter. Oh, yeah. uh, I have him, I have him half naked holding a, holding a, I think it was a 285 front squat, like front rack position. I think he was just doing like quarter squats or front rack holds or something like that. And I have it in the gym up on the wall. And what you can see is the bar is actually bending with all that weight, right? Uh, I Most of the time for the jerk, when they're holding the bar, I cue them to actually think of that amount of weight or that kind of weight where the bar actually bends your shoulders down into that rack position, see? You know? yeah. So then you're actually applying pressure on the, on the bar without having to shrug up. You know, you're actually allowing the bar to push down and all you're doing is resisting that whip of the bar or the, 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 ten, the tension of the bar. And, and that actually helps them understand that, oh, I don't actually need to hold the bar up because that's a lot more effort. You know, if I let the bar sit down and because it's heavy and it's pulling my shoulders into that position, I'm actually then understanding how to sit the bar me, like you said, feeling the weight through your torso and then ultimately being able to drive the torso through the bar using the legs. So, so I, I do give the example of that most of the time. Like, just oh, that's a great to... example and, and sounds like a great poster to have to show. Oh, like, yeah. Hey, this, is, this is what we want. This, the, this is the concept you know, right here on the, on the wall by one of the yeah, best and... in the world. Yeah, and a lot of people are visual learners. They they wanna they you can tell them, oh, try doing this, try doing this, but then they need to see it before they can actually process it to say, hey, okay, let me figure out how does that 
feel within my body. You see, so so you know, I have I have different posters in on the wall to to show show different things. You know, I have one of uh, Andre Rubikov, you know, one of the best snatch technique uh, in in the world in the past. You know, and he was a world champion as well. Um, and you know, his snatches spot on. You know, uh, he doesn't really jump back a lot. Good, good extension stays over the bar really well, you know. And then say, similarly, I show I show that you know his extension is actually leaning a little bit back, but the bar is still moving up relatively straight and maybe slightly away from him. So, you know, I I, I give examples like that to show to show the lifters like you know this guy is doing it like that. You know, he's 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 world champion. He's snatching maybe around hundred kilos more than his body weight, you know? So, so yeah, just try to do that. Yeah. Like look yeah. at the post and <laughs> just absorb it. <laughs> well, you know, some, sometimes it works. Cause like, like you said, you know, people are visual learners. So I think again, going back to that coach's tool bag, posters, photos, pop open your phone and pull up a YouTube video. Uh, you yep. know, cause he, cause he's even sometimes them watching you do it is still different when, when they're watching it be done in real time. You know, like, yep. as I, I know, like, like, like I might demo it, but I'm also probably demoing it in the little quirks and the way that I do it, you know? Yep. So sometimes it's good to pull up a, a professional. Yep. I think, I think like for us where we actually demonstrate or we actually show, show our lifting to our lifters. Um, I had this comment before from one of my lifters, you know, uh, I competed in like an in-house comp that I have here at the gym. Uh, and, you know, they said like, now I understand what you mean by like what you teach us, what you do, you know, like I, the stuff that I teach them, it's not so much on the technical side as much, but it's actually a lot more on the mental or mindset side, you know, taking the time with your setup, taking your breath, you know, things like that, you know, things that, that are, are actually as important as your technique in weightlifting or in actual fact helps complement your technique in weightlifting. So, so, you know, it's, it's, it's them understanding basically you can live with what you have, but to make it better, you need to have all these smaller elements that like your breathing, you know, um, your foot position, you know, how you create tension, you know, things like that, that comes like a, play. it's like a puzzle. You're putting yeah, exactly. together a puzzle. Yeah. You have little puzzle pieces. You know, and you know, and that's that's also why, like biomechanics, for me, it's it's not so much. Oh, it's a fixed way of uh, coaching someone. You know, like a lot of the people that come in, uh, I don't really change their technique a lot. I, you know, I'm not the kind of coach where I just go, all right, let's strip it down back to the bar and let's 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 work your technique again. You're not doing it right. You know, I I I work with what they have. You know, and. I, I learned that from my coach, you know, when I first interacted with him, he didn't tell me, oh, just go back to the barbell and, you know, we're going to start from scratch. You know, he, he molded me along the way. And, you know, when I first walked in, I had maybe a 75 kg uh, snatch PR. And then by the time I finished my competitive career, I was snatching 100, you know. So, so I, think, I think the important thing to understand is as coaches, we, we learn a lot from like all our certifications and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, like you said, it's the art of coaching and the art of coaching involves getting someone to work with what they have first and then slowly molding it into what's suitable for them. See, And yeah. what's suitable and for it, them might not, might not be time. according to your textbook. Yeah. It's going to take time depending on when you get them. 
I mean, one perfect example that pops into my head is uh, my lifter, Frank. You know, when he came to me, he was he's super strong. Already someone who could deadlift and back squat, you know, in excess of 400 pounds. So he's got very, very good strength compared to most beginners. But teaching the nuances of something like the snatch and the clean and jerk and being able to funnel that strength in a productive way was something that we've been working on for, for years. And we're finally getting to a, a, a breaking point where we're effectively utilizing the strength he had and improving upon that even, but being able to use it in the lifts, which like you can be very, very strong, but being able to do the snatch correctly is a whole nother issue. And sometimes being super strong coming into it can be worse than coming into it uh, weaker. You know, it would almost be easier to work with someone who doesn't have that reserve of strength and teach them the technique first and have the strength come along with it than having someone who's super strong and able just to overpower the bar. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's like it's like uh, it's like tuning a car. You know, like if you have a if you have a car right from the shop where it's it's like a V8 engine or a V12 engine, right? For you to actually make changes and you know fine tune it, it's gonna be challenging. You know, whereas if you if you start from just something that you build up that's small, you can add the pieces onto it and it, it, it layers up a lot better, see. So so yeah, I, I do agree with that. And I think the important thing for a lot of people to understand is you, you are strong enough, you know, everyone's strong enough to, to actually live decently. You don't need to be saying, oh, you know, look at this, my shoulders are wobbly. I'm not strong enough, you know. If, if your shoulders are not strong enough, you wouldn't even be able to hold the bar overhead as simple as that. You know, yeah. if your glutes are not strong enough, you wouldn't even be able to sit in the bottom of a squat. You know, it's 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 an idea of like the easiest way out is to build strength. You know, but you can still build strength on a dysfunctional movement pattern. You know, you can still you can move poorly, but you can still build strength. You know, but the problem is how how far can you take that? You know, if you if you wanna if you wanna spill over with uh, your strength gains, you have to make sure you're moving well. You cannot go like, oh, you know, I'm I'm doing a I'm doing a bad squat, and then, oh, yep, I'm getting stronger and stronger and stronger. There will come a point where it's gonna be capped, and that's where your body breaks. You know, but if you move well, basically there's no cap. It just keeps going up and up and up and up. Yeah, there'll be times where you plateau, but at least you're still able to train consistently and not get injured. You know, and then then you can break that plateau and suddenly improve again, you know? So, so that's why exactly. I tell my guys all the time, you know, it's, it's more important to be able to train consistently than to say, Hey, I, I put 10 kilos or 20 pounds on my PR, but you know, I, I'll be out for six weeks after that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you either get hurt or, you know, like I'm sure you've experienced that you get people who are very impatient and they don't want to maybe, you know, wait that long you know weightlifting can be a very tedious thing you know we're doing the same couple of lifts of course there's a there's a variance but it's still the snatch is still the clean and jerk and uh, i you know there's so many people who just don't have the patience to really wait it out and see something through like a program or a progression and but that's that's you know his testament that's something that frank has done and that's why we're making improvements now today i'll, yeah, I'll shout out on the podcast to frank PR is clean and jerk, one fifty two. Oh, yeah. Well done. So it's um, it's uh, it's a uh, good things. Good things are happening. Now, uh, Lester, yeah, another yeah. thing I wanted to to talk to you about was I I was looking through your 
your Instagram page and I saw a, a, a couple lifters doing squat jerks. And oh, yes. the, the squat jerk is something I've been fascinated with. Uh, and I've had one lifter in recent months who tried making the switch. And really, he didn't do too bad. And I, I don't know what this means because I'm not too versed on a squat jerk, but his top end jerk is 112. And he was able yep. to squat jerk 110. So like not, oh, not, wow. not that bad, uh, you know, and he, uh, in a complex, he's squat jerked 102, uh, essentially cold because we weren't doing, we weren't doing any jerks that day. And so he's like, he has like a, a natural knack for it, you know, um, yep. and we've recently moved back to split jerks, you know, the squat jerk just wasn't really working too well in quarantine. You know, it wasn't the most motivating oh, yeah. thing. So, uh, but now what he's noticing after doing all the squat jerks, his shoulders feel much stronger and he feels much more robust in doing the split jerk. So really we had that benefit. One of my ulterior motives, motives for having him switch to squat jerk was for it to improve his snatch on the lockout and the catch position. So it's, uh, uh, what do you think about using the squat jerk for those ends or goals? And also let's talk about how do you coach it? Uh, well, yes, I do have, I did have a few lifters that, uh, you know, did the squat jerk and, you know, they, I mean, I, the, a lot of my information or what I learned about the squat jerk came from actually watching someone like Lou, you know, I mean, when he first came into the scene in 2009, I think, or that's when I first noticed him, um, he was the first person that I saw technically doing the squat jerk. And honestly speaking, it's not something that is just because of him. It's been around for a long, long time, you know, like even early days, 2000, you know, China already had one of the, one of the best um, athletes, squat jerking, you know. Uh, I think he's now the national coach for the female team, uh, uh, Zhang Guo Rong or Zhang Guo something, right? Zhang Guo Zhen, yes. Uh, and, you know, he, he, he did a squat jerk as well. You know, he, he was one of the older veteran lifters. And, you know, in order for him to qualify, I think, for the 2008 Olympics versus uh, Liao Hui, uh, he had to do a 200-kilo squat jerk, right, to, to hit those numbers to be able to qualify. And, wow. you know, and he was already 30-plus, I think. And he did it, you know. And you go like, oh, wow, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing here. Uh, for me, I, I, what my very first experience with the squat jerk was one of my lifters who also had trouble split jerking. You know, uh, more, more, more from a physical sense. So she was struggling a lot with her performance and, you know, that split jerk just didn't work for her. Like it just rotated the hell out of her pelvis and, you know, Causing she was getting pain. a lot of, yeah, causing pain with the hip and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it wasn't ideal. So one day I was out and I knew that she had mobility in her upper body and uh, the, she had the capacity to kind of hold that position quite well. So so I just said, you know, let's, let's play around first. You know, uh, initially I got her to push jerk a lot for competition even because, you know, think about it logically, the split rotates you a lot. Right. Uh, if you don't stabilize your hips or your pelvis well enough, your pelvis is always loaded in a rotated position. So over time, the muscles in your trunk that's supposed to stabilize get stronger on one side. So I was like, okay, let's go into a push jerk. Let's see how you go with a push jerk because that should even you out, right? 
you know. Uh, and you can kind of be a bit more aggressive. You can punch the bar up a lot better. So we went into the push jerk and, you know, she did quite well as well. She went back to her, I think at that time, her PR was around, I think, 70 over kilos, 80 kilos. And she was a 64 kilo lifter. Uh, or at that time, it was a 69 kilo class. And what she did was, you know, one day I was like, oh, if you're able to push jerk and it feels comfortable, why not let's just see if we can do some narrow grip overhead squats, you know? So, so she did a few, the position looked great. And I said, okay, let's, if you, if you, if you take this step with me, I'll, I'll, I'll assure you, you know, we'll get you, uh, we'll try our best to like get you as strong as possible in that position. And then the next thing we knew she was squat jerking, you know, uh, probably about two to three competitions in, she was hitting back to her PRs again with the squat jerk. And, you know, we put about, I think close to 11 kilos on her clean and jerk PR, uh, over the span of like three years. You know, um, switching from uh, from the split jerk to the push jerk, that took about a year. The push jerk to a squat jerk took about a year. And then for her to stabilize, that took also another year. So, so the whole process, yeah, the whole process took about, for me, uh, three years. You know, we're doing a lot of different things. We're doing a lot of like behind the neck work to start because, you know, it's, it's a straighter bar path for you to kind of go overhead, you know, uh, even when you dip in the, in the, any movement behind the neck, basically your torso angle is very similar to how you would when you catch, you know? um, Similarly enough, even though she had longer, slightly longer legs, right? Uh, her torso was relatively long as well. So, so, you know, she was able to stay quite upright in a squat position. Uh, and being female as well, her hips were slightly more mobile. So, so she was able to like, the, the issue I had a lot was stability, not the mobility, but the stability of the movement. So, so we did a lot of like recoveries, you know, squat jerk recovery. So I would set up, you know, the bar on jerk blocks or, you know, on the sporting arms on the rack and, you know, she just stand it up from the bottom. So, oh, so, so she's doing the recoveries from the bottom of the squat. Yeah, from the bottom. Okay. Yeah. So, so I've tried those before, and those are incredibly difficult because <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not breaking. Fun. Yeah, breaking the bar off of the block is is you just feel all of a sudden. At least I would. All the weight is on your shoulders. All of a sudden, yeah. it's going zero to sixty, and then you stand, and it feels all right. But that's definitely yeah. And, and uh, the thing is, it's not a back squat. So the center of mass of the bar is actually a lot further from where your your center of mass is. You know, yeah. so when it's when it's stretched out like that, you know, it's 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 actually quite challenging. And you know, initially she struggled a little bit with that, but we got her doing close to, like when her PR was around eighty, we got her doing ninety. When she came up to eighty-five, she she was able to do a hundred kilo. Uh, we call it a jerk recovery, right? So, so she, you know, those numbers made me confident of her being able to handle weight really well. See, and then the next part was trying to get the rhythm of the squat jerk. So, being able to say, "Hey, how do you time yourself pushing under the bar, sitting under the bar?" So then, this is where the next element of it came in, where you know like how we would have the jerk recoveries, but instead of just sitting at the bottom, finding a position and adjusting before standing up, we would make it like a, a almost like what 
if you see some of the videos that Lou does, where he actually pushes himself under and then stands up almost immediately without hesitation. So, so that helps uh, you. Like a press under. Yeah, like is, a press under. Is the bar supported by the blocks or is it on the back? No, it's supported by the blocks. So, okay, so, so you, it's, you press You don't feel the weight of Into the bottom yeah, so, squat and then stand. Yeah. Yeah, so it's almost like a, it's the rep starts from the top, see, not the bottom. So, so, so you're actually pushing yourself under and then standing up immediately. So your body learns how to take that load and then immediately comes up. So, so that was technically the process of how I, I, I coached my first lifter using the squat jerk. And then, you know, like with that, a lot of people was like, oh, can you let me try this? And I said, yeah, we can, you know, but, you know, this is the process that we took, you know, it took yeah, a good Yeah, you have three, to be patient. Yeah, three years, you know, and, uh, and it, it's, it's, I mean, it's not for, it's not for everyone. Um, like, I've tried it myself and basically, I don't have the shoulders for it. Like, even if, if, if you slice off like my anterior delt and my bicep tendon, maybe I might, you know, but, but if, I, I I don't have the range and I reckon it's structurally I'm not built for it you know yeah um, I know my, after my the age. world championships uh, when everyone saw Lou make his his amazing lift you know taking a 10 kilo jump and winning the world championships I think is what 207 is that what he hit yep yep yes, and, 207, and he, yes after that when we had our session in barbell club you know <laughs> I'm like why are you all squat jerkers all of a sudden what happened like, and it's like, it's one of those things where like your athletes won't tell you because like, they're just yep. in their head. They're like, I'm going to try that man. And, the, and you're drilling positions and all of a sudden half the room is in the bottom of the squat when you're expecting them to be in the splits. Quite the I, I think it's a, I think it's a good skill to have. And I think the way you've approached it with your lifter, it, it definitely is beneficial to a lot of, uh, a lot of that strength and that range in the upper body. So, so if you're looking to improve your your position for the jerk in the in a split jerk, practicing a little bit of that, if they can handle it, will actually benefit them a lot. Because if you think about it, that position is when your hips are most flexed at the bottom. See, yeah. So when your hips are most flexed, and if you are still able to stabilize your spine, right. Basically, when you actually go into a split jerk where your hips are not as flex, you're still able to, you, you can stabilize your spine a lot better. See? So, so it's a good skill to have. I think it's, it's worth teaching someone to do it. Um, it's yeah, especially worth... if they've got the flexibility. And we, we did some, uh, we would do like uh, power jerks into yep. a squat and we yep. would do um, uh, snatch bounces, lots of snatch bounces, yeah. uh, which is, it's, a different, you know, like, like, I like this idea of using the blocks when we can get back to the gym, you know, we might oh, have yeah. to re revisit this, but tons and tons of snatch bounces. And what we found too, is the errors that he was making in his split jerk before were yep. magnified tenfold on the squat jerk. And it's like, all of a sudden he could not get away with, with anything, any kind of misbalance. And it really forced us to look deeper and readdress his dip position on, yes. on the jerk and getting the, the hips in the right spot and not shifting forward and getting on the toes. And all of a sudden th that led to better squat jerks. And that's probably part of why, you know, going into splits again, all that practice with very little room for error is all of a sudden making those splits feel stronger and better. 
Yeah, and 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 I totally, I totally like. That's that's one of the reasons that I would actually try to recommend it to someone because if if you can actually narrow grip overhead squat, right, it means that you can squat jump. You know, uh, I've gotten a few of my lifters to do that, and then straight away they were like, "Are you trying to get me to squat jump?" And I'm like, "No, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to do that." But you know, it does have that benefit in it. Um, and you know, if 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 you can do it, I mean, why not? You know, why not? Yeah, it's 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 like a, um, it's like with anything. It's like you should have the skill to do a proper muscle snatch, a proper power snatch and a proper full snatch. And if you can manage it, a proper split snatch. It's like, why not be versatile and be able to do all of these things? And I know, I know what I used to do back in the day, you know, like uh, we were going to meets all the time. And this is like in 2015 to 2018 timeframe, we were going to several meets a year. And depending on how many lifters I had, I'm still lifting. And it'd be like, okay, what, what, which one of these things am I going to do at this meet? I might power at this meet. I might split at the next one and then try to PR those because sometimes you can't really focus on yourself the way you'd like to at, at a meet when you have, you know, 10 athletes going. So it's, uh, it's just nice to be able to have all the different PRs and try to, to pick away at them. I, I totally, I totally commend you on that because um, just before the lockdown, I took part in my first competition back uh, after probably about, I think three years, like proper competition. And I had to coach, I think six girls the session before and four guys in the same session as I was competing. So, oh gosh, so, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, so, so to be able to do that, I'm, I, I was like, man, I don't know how some of these coaches who like coach and compete at the same time do it, you know. I mean, it was, it was all lumped in a day. It wasn't like a big comp where, you know, you had your different sessions and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. but it was still, like, by the time I wanted to, like, go for the clean and jerks, I was just spent. I was like, oh, okay. I had, thankfully, I had an assistant coach around to help out. But I said to her, I don't think I can do this on, like, a regular basis. That's going to kill me. And, yeah, it's you know, very, gonna... very stressful because you still got to make weight, too. Like as, as the coach, you got, you can't just come out there and be like, guys, I didn't make weight. Like, so you have yeah. to make, make weight. So you have all the stresses of yourself on you. And then you have all the stresses of all the text messages, all the DMS and all the, the meltdowns in the gym from all of your, yep. your athletes and your, and so you're carrying in all the stress from them with you. And uh, it was the, uh, the first time I bombed out was, when I decided, okay, I need to have a different strategy for, <laughs> you know, cause like, I mean, it was, it was a dumb bomb out. It was, it was one of those things where I took the same weight, the same opening weight three times in a row. And after the fact, I was like, why, why didn't I just go up? Like it was, it was, yep. it, was it was clearly, it was clearly a situation of, it was, it was too light. So I was opening up with a weight that was too light because I thought yep. I would need to do that because I was already working before that. Okay, yep. And then I should have gone up to start fresh. I would have rather have bombed out on three different weights than the same weight Wait, all in a row. True. And so I was like, that, yep. I was like, all right, that can never happen again. And then I started just being like, okay, I'll, I'll power at this one. What's my competition? Power <laughs> What's my competition X thing? You know, I even, I even went as far as to do split clean at one time. Oh, wow. I did wow. Uh, a split clean and push, jerk combo you know just completely flipping it on its head uh but it's uh you got yeah just do what you gotta do to coach because that you know 
they want to see you lifting too. You know, they want to see. Oh you yeah, lifting. of course, of course. And like all of them were like staying back, and I was like, "Oh, you guys really want to watch me lift?" And I'm like, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, we just want to cheer you on. And I'm yeah, because like, they okay. never get to see you lift other than in videos. You know, because you're yeah. not training when they're training, probably. Exactly, exactly. The difficult one was actually, like you said, like having to make weight. For me, the making weight part was quite manageable, but you know, like having to weigh in. You know. I just couldn't find the time to weigh in. You know, everyone was still lifting, and I was coaching them. And then, like right at the like last ten minutes before the weigh-in was done, you know, I was like, "Oh, okay, quick, quick, quick!" You know, that's the ten-minute break from the, yeah. the snatches to the clean jerk. So I, I quickly went in. And then usually, you know, the the proper the proper process is once you weigh in, you start eating and you know refueling yourself and all that kind of stuff. But because the clean jerks went on. I had no time to eat, you know. So by the time, by the time I wanted to start my session, I was like, "Oh, let me chow down a little bit on a few carrots here and there, just to yeah. you know give me some energy." But it wasn't enough, you know. So yeah, back back then for me, the answer was uh, more C four, the, uh, the, the <laughs> workout. Just get more C four, and then just 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 go all itchy face and everything. Yeah, the big one we have is uh, baby food, you know, like in those like little sachets, you know, because they, they're full of sugar and, you know, they just absorb quickly. So, so a lot of our guys, you see them at the comps, like chowing down, like squeezing baby food into their mouth. And <laughs> that's, you know. that's awesome. That's a good, you know, if I'm going to eat baby food, though, I'm going out of the jar. I'm going old school. <laughs> I want the Gerber, the Gerber peach. I remember yep. being really good, not from being a baby, yep. just from other times <laughs> in my life when I've had yep. it, you know, and, uh, uh, I'm gonna eat it out of the jar and and whatever. Do it, do it, do it. Make it, make it yeah, a thing, well. you know. Yeah. Well, Lester, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, and talking about weightlifting. I definitely want to get you back on because I feel like there's so many different things that we could talk about. We've only just scratched the surface of technique and other things. I agree. I agree. So yeah, we'll but thank you for having you me. Yeah, it's great to catch up with you again. And, uh, you know, I mean, hopefully, you know, things ease off and soon enough, you know, a lot of the traveling can be done. Uh, I mean, there are some big comms coming up as well. And hopefully that doesn't get pushed back or canceled as well. So yeah. you know, then, then we can actually catch up face to face, chat a lot more, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. definitely. How are things, are things opening up in Australia right now? Uh, they are starting to. So we are we're probably about six weeks into a lockdown. Uh, you know. Oh, you guys are only six weeks in. Yeah, we've been six weeks in. So, so I think we locked down in uh, the date was sixteenth or fifteenth of March or something like that. And you know, we they extended it once, and uh, next I think tomorrow they're gonna. So different states or for us they have different. They have a federal like regulation kind of thing that they're going to put in place to ease the lockdowns, uh, but different states will have different timings when to when to ease off and all that kind of stuff. So they're they're looking at announcing it tomorrow for our state of Victoria, and um, I don't know what the goal is, but I reckon you know like we based on the national plan, uh, gyms don't open to probably late May or even June. So, so, you know, for us, competitions won't run till like even past that. So maybe July, hopefully, hopefully earlier, but I, I expect July or August that we'll have our first proper competition back uh, locally. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say, you know, like, yeah, who things, knows? Could, things could change. Things could change we're, just like that. You know? we're, we're in New York, you know, so we're, 
obviously getting pretty hard, pretty hard down in yep. the, the city. And I'm in upstate New York, which, which helps. Yep. And the, um, we're in a, a phase three out of four yep. or gyms right yep. now. Although, you yep. know, like you said, it could change at any point. There's some gym yep. or some competitions on the calendar for late July and in September yep. and October. So we're hopefully going to be able to hit those up and get some more lifting in. Although right now it's just all online, you know, people running yep. the program, sending videos. I actually just spent some time doing a, um, an instructional video series on like all of our nice. warmups and what we're going to do for our next training cycle, which starts on Monday. So nice. I figured, you know, I was doing like weekly videos and I'm like, I'm just going to do a big one and have Joanna yep. demo with the barbell on all the different exercises. Uh, since so I don't have to do it because demoing is hard work. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's a long I day. I yeah. It's a lot of reps when you're demoing. So I got, I was the talking and she was the demoing. And so that's where we're at right now. And hopefully yeah. we'll be able to, hopefully we'll all be able to get together at a, a big international meet soon. And oh, we'll definitely. have athletes either both lifting or who knows, maybe we'll meet toe maybe to toe someday. <laughs> yeah. And in, in the same session, you know, you never know. What my lineup? Uh, I probably have to drop. I have to drop a lot of weight to get to your category. So, so are are, are you a are you a masters? Yeah, I'm a masters this year. So what a way to get back into the competition scene. You know, doing one competition and then everything suddenly put on hold because you know you can't do much after that. So yeah, I so. will be um I'll be competition age master in December. So uh, nice. We'll, nice. We'll be in the same the same categories. What what class are you in? Probably 81, or uh, with the looks of it, I, I might go 89 soon enough. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I, I'm typically an 81, but I'm fluffy enough right now to be a very heavy 89, uh, maybe even a little over. So, uh, <laughs> one, one, one thing about the lockout, lockdown. So, yeah, yep. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, uh, Lester, where can people follow you or find your information you know, and, and learn more about the Training Geek? Yep. So I have a lot of my articles about biomechanics and uh, all that kind of stuff on my website called The Training Geek. So it's thetraininggeek.net, so N-E-T. Uh, and I post regularly, almost every day on uh, Instagram. Uh, it's Lester Whole K-W, that's my handle. Uh, and you, you probably see a lot of my lifters, some, some lifting by myself, a bit of my kids and all that as well. Um, and, you know, it's... It, you can also find me on Facebook with the Training Geek uh, label. So if you just type in the Training Geek, you should be able to find me there. So uh, all of these avenues are very active, except for the maybe for the blog bit at the moment. You know, I, I use Instagram a lot more because it's more relevant and shorter pieces of information. You know, the blog stuff is more like, oh, if you have the time to sit down and read, then you read that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you can find me there if you need if, if you need anything about biomechanics and or if you want to just have a chat about biomechanics, just drop me a line or drop me an email or something like that. And you know, I'll be I'll be available to answer. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, now, now we know uh, uh, Sunday your time. Saturday, yes. my time at 5 yes. p.m. for me, 7 a.m. for you works. You, you guys would, anyone listening, if anyone's still listening, you guys would not believe how long it took me to figure out with the <laughs> time delay what day Lester is on. It's actually Sunday for Lester and it's Sunday, yes. Saturday for me. And so figuring out what day he's on and what time we can meet because I've never had to schedule someone 
oh, that's all the way across the world. That was quite the interesting uh, thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, we learn something new every day, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Now I know. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lester. And for everyone listening, uh, make sure you follow The Barbell Strikes Back on Instagram. Follow myself, James A. McDermott, on Instagram if you'd like. We do have a fan page on Facebook where all the announcements for podcasts are posted as well. Uh, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts to The Barbell Strikes Back. And if you think I deserve it, give a five-star review, leave a rating, all that good stuff, and enjoy. Thank you, Lester. Oh, thank you.